sometimes there's a pretty big gap between what you actually say and what your highly sensitive child hears, right? Today, I'm sharing how this dynamic played out in my family recently. Let's get into it. Parenting is the hardest job ever, and parenting a highly sensitive child who's struggling can feel downright impossible. If you're suffering through endless meltdowns, walking on eggshells, and losing sleep worrying, you've landed in the right place. Because I'm here to help you feel good about parenting your highly sensitive child. I'm Dr. Hillary, clinical psychologist and mom of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where I help you make sense of your child's challenging behaviors and build resilience in the face of their big emotions. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to turn your child's sensitivity into their superpower. Welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I am so glad you're here. So today you're joining me for another one of my Parenting Reflections episodes, where I've been sharing moments from my own real life parenting highly sensitive kids. And sometimes I share wins, sometimes I share my mistakes, but I always share directly from my own parenting experience in these episodes. So if you are parenting a highly sensitive child, you know that you can give them feedback and you have an intention for it to be received a certain way. And that is not always the way they receive it. And sometimes your highly sensitive child hears a completely different message than that which you intended. And that can lead to a pretty big reaction from your child. And these big reactions are rooted largely in the intense shame that highly sensitive kids often feel because they're not just feeling their own emotions, including shame deeply, but they are hyper aware of other people's emotions and other people's reactions. And so they are constantly drawing conclusions and making assumptions about what you are thinking about them and how you are perceiving them. And many highly sensitive kids are hypersensitive to criticism or even perceived criticism as a result. So this morning, I was walking with my boys to school, which we do every morning. It's about a mile and change, and it's a nice walk. It's long enough where we can really get into some conversation. It's nice bonding time. I would be lying if I didn't also acknowledge that there are plenty of mornings where we're stressed trying to get out the door, and they are arguing with each other, and there's stress that they take out on each other if, say, they have a test coming up that they're not excited about. So these walks are not always completely pleasant and wonderful, but I still love the fact that we're walking and not having these same hard moments in a car sitting in car line. So either way, I'm very, very grateful that we get the opportunity to walk together. But I just wanted to acknowledge that it's not always just this perfect, happy little walk. Definitely not. The transition from home to school, from cozy bed to maybe uncomfy clothes, from open and free play to abiding by someone else's agenda, that transition can be tricky for kids, but especially for highly sensitive kids. So definitely some mornings are stressful, but we were actually having a really nice walk this morning. We were just talking about all kinds of different things, and we got on the topic of different sports that my six-year-old wants to try. Both he and my nine-year-old are really into soccer, and my nine-year-old plays on a competitive league where we are doing tournaments almost every weekend, and if we're not doing tournaments, we have regular season games. 
We've got two to three, two and a half to three hour practices a week. So it's a commitment, but he loves it. And my husband's the assistant coach. My husband played soccer all through his childhood. So it's a really good fit, but it's a lot. And my six-year-old is still playing rec because he's not at the level where they can do the more competitive soccer yet. But even that combined with my nine-year-old schedule is a lot. So we were talking about the logistics of adding in another sport. And I was saying, you know, I don't think we can take on two sports that are really involved, but you're certainly welcome to do a season of rec in a different sport and see what you think. If you like it, we could explore it. So this was the gist of the conversation. And we were just really having a nice time talking about sports and about what it takes to excel in a sport that you love, right? And my nine-year-old at this point said something along the lines of how he really loves soccer and he doesn't imagine himself ever giving it up. To which I replied something along the lines of, that's awesome. I love that you love it. And I'm so happy to see you do something that you love. And then I said, I'm really glad that you love it as much as you do because it is a commitment, right? We're spending money and time. And I just started outlining all of the things that we are kind of giving up in order for him to play soccer. And I didn't say this in a punitive way or anything like that. We talk a lot in our family about trade-offs. Everything has trade-offs. Every decision that you make, everything you say yes to, you have to inevitably say no to something else, right? Just that's how the world works. We can't do everything, right? And so it's really a helpful way for my kids to think about the decisions that they're making. So I was just kind of listing off what it takes for a family to be able to make a commitment to a sport like this. I was talking about how daddy gives up his time to help coach and I give up time to come to the games. And I said, your brother and your sister give up their time to come to your games. And the next thing I know, my six-year-old is looking angry and he has stopped walking. And so he's about 10 feet behind us at this point. And I'm very confused because I don't know what he's upset about. So I stop and I call to him and I hold out my arms to give him a hug. And I ask him, I'm like, what's up, bud? You look upset. And he says, you said that I give up. And then indignantly he adds, I don't give up. I never give up. And I'm like, what? I didn't say anything like that. And I'm replaying in my head, what did I actually say? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, this is a massive miscommunication. I was saying to my nine-year-old that your brother and sister give up lots of their time to watch you play soccer. And my six-year-old heard that he gives up. He thought I said that he is a kid who gives up. So naturally, I tried to correct the miscommunication. I said, oh, buddy, here's what I actually said. You thought I said this, but actually, I was just talking to your brother about this. Actually, what I said about you was kind. I was saying that you give up your time. And I kept going on and on about this, thinking that he was at some point going to say, oh, okay, and we would move on. Spoiler alert, that is not what happened. He just continued to stay mad. Now, I know I talk on this podcast all the time about allowing feelings, about allowing all feelings, but this frustrated me. I was like, dude, you misunderstood what I said. Now that you know what I actually said, let's all move on. We were having such a nice walk. We were having a nice time. There's no need to stay stuck. 
let's move on and get back to that nice conversation we were having. And I even said some version of that to him. I said, hey, you were mad about something that I didn't actually say. And now you know what I actually said. So you continuing to be mad about it is like you're making up a story in your head that didn't happen. I think that's what I said, some version of that. Well, needless to say, that didn't help. And in fact, it made his brother so frustrated that he couldn't get over the miscommunication that then his brother started in on him, which just fueled the fire. So now my six-year-old is just so mad. And I am feeling so frustrated because I feel like he is mad over nothing. So I kept trying to shift the dynamic to get him to snap out of it. I was focusing on all the wrong things, y'all. I was not doing the things that I know are helpful when someone is upset. And I think just on principle, this was really frustrating because it was a miscommunication. But here's the thing we have to remember about these moments. It may or may not be about the miscommunication. He may have needed to release some emotion, and this was the catalyst. This was the reason for that emotion to come out. It probably had little to nothing to do with what I actually said versus what he thought I said. Now, the cool part about raising kids with emotional intelligence and in a household where we talk about this stuff all the time, probably to the point where it's annoying sometimes, is that my kids call me out in these moments. Some might argue that that's also the downside is that my kids call me out. But my six-year-old in this moment, he turns to me and he says, mommy, I get it. You said something different than what I thought you said, but I feel mad. And if I want to feel mad, I'm allowed to feel mad. And then he went into how you always say that if we have a feeling, it's fine to feel whatever we feel. And that stopped me in my tracks because like, he's totally right. Everything he was saying was on point. And I was the one who was out of line and trying to get him to let it go. He wasn't saying or doing anything hurtful that I needed to set a boundary around. He wasn't doing anything really. He was just mad. And I think his brother and I felt lost over the fact that we were having a nice and peaceful walk. And so in some ways we held it against him that he kind of messed with an otherwise nice conversation for no reason. And it was very easy for us to get stuck in that line of thinking. But the truth is that my six-year-old in that moment had some feelings that needed to come out. They might've had something to do with the upcoming school day. Regardless, he needed to release some feelings and he felt mad. And who was I to try to get him to stop feeling that way? So I share this with the hope that this is helpful for you to hear, that maybe you have moments too where your highly sensitive child is upset about something that seems absolutely nonsensical, and maybe it is nonsensical in your worldview. But this is your reminder to let feelings B, they don't have to make logical sense to the people who are not feeling them. They don't even have to make logical sense to the people who are feeling them. I would argue that feelings always make sense. We just might not have all the context we need in the moment to understand how they make sense. But I would argue that feelings always make sense. And we have to trust that. We have to trust that as parents and we have to trust that about ourselves as people. So my hope is in listening to this that maybe next time you're in this situation, you'll have enough of a bird's eye view to be able to actually stop and validate that whatever's going on for your highly sensitive child in that moment is real and that it must be pretty hard for them in that moment and that you get it and you respect it even if you don't understand it. 
And speaking of highly sensitive kids, if you've been wondering whether your child is in fact highly sensitive, go take my free quiz. It'll take you three minutes and it will show you exactly where your child falls on the sensitivity spectrum. Go to raiseresilient.com forward slash quiz. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode has been helpful and I will catch you in the next episode. Want to continue the conversation and connect with other parents who get it? Join our free Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash raised resilient. I can't wait to see you in there. And if you loved today's episode, I'd be so honored if you'd share it with a friend who needs it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, we've got this.